0: It's just a great day to be alive, and uh, I'm not worried about, I had not spoke before a, a crowd in 20 plus years. Uh, but I'm not here long today, because I know Brother Johnny's standing right here with me. Uh, and how it ties into my life, and I had planned this. Uh, but I met Johnny Lay at the young age of 10 years old. Uh, we had moved to the coffee road, and they had... Moved to the coffee road, and my mother had had what we called a old hen's party, Tupperware, and Avon. And this little curly, black-headed boy, uh, he came with his mother, and we played out back and got to know each other. Over the years, we was kind of like Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Hen 10. Uh, we'd sneak out, go fishing. Ride our bicycles five to six to seven miles just to catch a minnow, And we thought it was a whale. But we would have our little talks along the way. And Johnny was a smaller young boy. He was two years older than me. And he had kind of like a birthmark on his neck and the side of his face. And all the bullies, they would call him Spot. And they would call me Brucey. Because I was skinny and had the biggest ears in O'Connor County, but my head finally grew into them. And, uh, but along the way, uh, we just had fun. And the old fifty-three forty, he called the black flash. I was the first person that got to ride in it, and it wouldn't paint it up. It was an old rusty thing. <laughs> and uh, but he introduced me to life. And I remember one time we snuck out and went fishing. Our favorite place was Striblin' Shoes. And we decided we wanted to go skinny dipping. Um, and I had an older brother that him and his friends knew we were going there and stuff. And they showed up and they stole our clothes. Um, and me and Johnny, we, <laughs> we <laughs> said, how in the world are we going to get back down the coffee road? So we come up with this plan that We'd take a vine and dress like Tarzan. We'd make us some leaves. And we set out in those woods and we ruined more leaves than anybody ever ruined before. But finally we found our bicycle and our clothes that they'd left. Had a good laugh about it. But this man was in and out of my life, Uh, right up to the last Sunday when he spoke to me. We were just great friends. Nobody ever knew, we shared a lot of stuff, but um, I, I just wanted to tell you about the young man that I knew because he was a great man. This room full of people couldn't feel his shoes. That's how good a person he was. And uh, I never have had much feelings. I never shared them with anybody. Uh, barely, barely could cry when my mother died. But I cried like a baby when Johnny laid down. Wept. but. I just can't tell you enough what a great man he was. I uh, grew up holding his children. We was in and out, back and forth to the military. I just Johnny Lay, as long as I draw breath, his spirit will never be dead. He will always live. I don't think we know what a treasure we lost, but, but enough still. When I touched his body yesterday, fire ran through me like I was holding on to an electric cable. I knew his spirit was still hanging around to say goodbye. But uh, no doubt in my mind, he's in heaven. And I can't help but believe that if God has a standing list, he's at the top of the standing list. But anyway, my name is Bruce Deaton. I was born in 1949 in Oconee Memorial Hospital and grew up in the big city of Westminster. Went to school Westminster. And somewhere along the line, around the 10th grade, I decided that school was not for me. I said, This is not for me. And my other brother, which we don't talk about much, he told me, I said, Bruce, all you got to do is just tell him you're not going anymore. You're not going to do it. And he had me all pumped up. So I walked into my mother that night. I told her, I said, Mom, I'm not going to school anymore. I wound up probably about over to that wall over there somewhere. <laughs> but, uh, Anyway, life just kind of went up. All my brothers and sisters had kind of flew the coop. And, uh, but I got into trouble in 1967. You would have thought it was the end of the world. It was the best thing that ever happened to me in my life. I uh, got caught in a girl's locker room <laughs> at Westminster High School. And... Uh, it was kind of funny in a way, not funny in a way, but um, we had all made a dare, to the boys, of who would go in and out and go in and out, but I was the one that got caught. And it wasn't so much going in a girl's bathroom as who was in that bathroom. So I guess in a few short days, my life changed forever because I was given the choice to either go to the Florence, to the boys' home, or to enter military service. It wasn't my plan, I assure you that. But uh, anyway, make a long story short, Judge Roy Cobb, I don't know if you, you remember him. He told me, said, young man, you have two choices. You can go to the boys' home in Florence, or you can enter military service. So I said, this is a joke. And uh, So I decided, I said, well, I'll go military service. Me and my mom talked about it. She said she thought it was a good thing. The only branch of service that I could get to take me at the young age of 17 was the Marine Corps. Uh, so I had a plan. I said, I'm going to go down there and tell them I don't want to be there and not do what they say. And they'll send me back home and everything will be good to go. <laughs> well, all I can tell you, Parris Island doesn't work that way. <laughs> For every time you say you don't, they say, you will. So after, I thought my mom had gave me some good whippings, but boy, oh, I got some good ones down there. But I will say one thing. It was the best thing that ever happened in my life. And when I got there, I was swinging 148 pounds. They gave me this big cup about this big line, about that tall. And they said, you'll be in group One. Everybody from 160 to 185, they was in group two, and everybody above was in group three. Well, us in group one, we had that big cup and they filled it up with milk three times a day and we got this big tray of potatoes. And we did that for 12 weeks. But at the end of 12 weeks, everybody wound up in the 160 to 190 pound group. And we thought we knew everything. We thought we was the best thing since cheese and crackers. But the hard part of me was that I was a 17 year old young man. Draft was going on. Everybody in service was up in their 30s, 25, 30. And uh, nobody didn't want a little snotty no 17 year old kid hanging around. So I kind of just scooted through all of that stuff wouldn't have a hard time with it and uh, but nobody, nobody wanted to have anything to do with the kid so I fell in love with weapons and uh, weapons was my life small weapons, crew served weapons any kind of weapon I could handle, I, I just loved it and, uh, so the next thing you know we was out on a firing range somehow, I don't know, God bless me um, I had the highest score of anybody on rifle range. And uh, so we started going our separate ways. The Marine Corps decided to send me up to Captain Pendleton to go to the uh, Marine Corps marksmanship course. And we went through it and we excelled. So next thing, Vietnam. 17. Reported proud to serve. And uh, God is alive That's all I can say I reported uh, the duty and got through into the mix a little bit uh, twelve days later I remember asking my sergeant I said sergeant I had the last watch I said you think I could sleep in I'll, I'll fill up this hole while you guys are eating breakfast and there was 12 of us. And he said, I don't know, Deaton. He said, if you think you can handle it, make it happen. So uh, I laid down in a uh, shallow, hasty foxhole. And uh, within two or three minutes, it was boom, boom, boom from the sky. And that whole squad was gone. When I stuck my head up out of that hole, there was one man alive, Kenneth Marlowe. uh, But I got through that day I grew up and become a man. I marked all those bodies, covered them up the best I could. And Kenneth Marlowe, which had no legs and no arms, one arm missing. I carried him on my back for 12 miles. And he told me many times to just stop and let him die. But the human will will always survive. You would think that that would be the end of it, but approximately three weeks later, I was in Fox Company, 2nd Town, 3rd Marines. We went up on the hill 290 which was later named Foxtrot Ridge. 109 Marines. Just a typical day. Uh, At 3 o'clock in the morning, they came. There was two NBA divisions. We fought for seven and a half hours. And there was 54 Marines left. 26 of those were badly wounded. So what do you do? A short time later, when we were finally relieved, they split us all up, and it was time for that unit to deactivate. So, I guess the moral of my story is: in a short time, you would think it was a terrible thing, but. All of those 23 Marines left were dispersed to other units. One kid named Deaton, nobody didn't want him. It was kind of sorta like, you're bad luck. You're a kid. Nobody wants to look after you. So I had the proud privileges for the next three weeks of burning feces. Uh, Not the greatest job in the world. Somebody has to do it. And one day, a gunnery sergeant named Gallagher, he came to me and he said, so You're the young, dumb kid that nobody wants. And he told me, I got a job for you. So I reported the next day to this tent and it had a big sign. It said, Death from afar. One shot, one kill. I entered and reported to old Gunny. He said, son, nobody wants you, but you're the kind of man I want. He said, because I love a man that nobody wants to be around. He said, and I don't want to be around you. But to make a long story short, uh, it changed my life. I started working alone. I went to the... Um, I wasn't going to mention words, I wouldn't even talk today, but I went to the uh, Marine Corps sniper school for a total of three weeks. I was so proud, I was so just hyped that I was finally going to get to be important. And then the day came, I said Dean it's your turn, crawled on a UH-1 helicopter and flew out about 8 miles with a rifle with 9 rounds a pistol and 11 rounds and marine K-bar. had a map and a compass and my instructions of what I was supposed to do well I gotta tell you people can brag about what they do and what they don't do in their life and it's easy to shoot an animal sometimes, sometimes not it's easy to try to determine who deserves it and who don't. But it's hard to pull a trigger on a man. It's hard. So I couldn't do it. I was a failure. But in time, everybody can be conditioned. Everybody in this church in one way or another is conditioned from the time you're a child to the time you leave this earth. And what you have to do is just out of sight, out of mind. So I guess if you could walk in my boots from 1968 to 1970 and you were beside me in this church, you would get up and move. you don't ever know who's sitting beside you or behind you and I was a terrible 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 person if hate could kill they would have been millions of dead people because that's how much I hated I hated everything and everybody I even cursed God When I came home, I tried to work at Dunlop for a while. And it just wasn't for me. And then I tried Kendall. And guess who got me a job at Kendall? Johnny Lay. He said, Bruce, you can use me as a reference anytime. So uh, I tried it. There was just too much evil in my heart because anytime anybody wanted to play and play a joke. It just didn't go over too well with me. So I avoided church for 35 plus years. I would go every once in a while with my wife and entertain her on Easter. And then one day, my brother, Clyde Deaton, which is my hero, he started asking me to go to church with him. He asked me, said, Bruce, come go to church with him. I said, Nah. And then one day, one year ago, before Veterans Day, he said, Bruce, come go to church with me. We haven't a a veteran speak at our church. He said, I think he might be a hero. And I don't know. All those times I just kind of dismissed what he said. He said the right words. He said the right words. Amen. So I walked into this church for the first time in 35 years because I was afraid the roof might cave in. Uh And my other hero, which is Kenny Owen, he captured my heart just the way he delivered his message. I couldn't sleep that night. I tried every way I could to sleep that night. I called Clyde and I told him, I said, Clyde, I'm falling apart, man. i got to meet the preacher tomorrow morning. And uh, I said, I just don't know what I'm going to do. He said, oh, you're going to be fine. <laughs> so uh, I'll never forget it. I walked into Kenny's office over there. The first man on the planet that I ever told my story to. Ever. Didn't leave nothing out. I told him, I said, Preacher, one or two things is going to happen. I'm going to get up and walk out of here and leave and never come back. Or you're going to help me. He didn't even hesitate. He took my hand. We went to our knees. And he started praying. And I just felt this immediate calm over my body. He told me, he said, son, God's been protecting you your whole life. You're one of his warriors. But I had prayed the night before, and my wife knows it's true. I had prayed for God to take me in my sleep rather than tell my story. And there's one man other than my family is still living that I can tell every Sunday. And he tells me the same thing every Sunday because he comes to me immediately says, son, I love you. And I said, I love you too. And that's Preacher Kenny over. Um, even though he told me that he didn't serve, he serves a higher power. He serves the man that makes all the decisions. And sometimes I ask my wife, I said, honey, you know, I, I try to, to read my Bible and I try to understand it. And I'm not a people person. That's the reason I don't go to Sunday school. Uh, it's all I can do to get in here and get out every Sunday. Because when they say it's time to get up and shake hands, it just drives me nuts. Uh, and I always try to sit in an outside seat. Because I've been trained my whole life. Observe for the threat. Eliminate the threat. The best way you can do that is have an exit. Not to run away, but to run towards the threat. The best way to eliminate it, get rid of it quick. Um, but I'm just so proud today to know that I have a loving family. And that's you people. I just tell you, it wasn't very long ago... I had to have surgery. Preacher Kennedy was there. Kennedy was there. It was supposed to be a simple two and a half hour surgery. Eight hours later, when I woke up, I thought it was just a two and a half hour surgery. But the day was over. My heart had stopped when they had my spine out. Doing my neck surgery for 73 seconds. And that's when I knew, without a doubt, that there was a God. Because I told my brother, I heard the code white. I heard it when they started calling it. And I heard the moniker. It was a please, 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 The next thing I knew, I felt this thing on my foot and it was just coming across very very hard Uh and in that 73 seconds I saw a bright light it was like an upside down keyhole and out of that keyhole stepped a shadow and then another shadow and when they walked up God is my witness it was my mother and father not a word not anything but a smile and then it was like leap, 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 leap. Again, again. everything's back to normal but i know that i'm not a good person i've never considered myself to be a good person but i know i'm a christian I want to be baptized one of these days. I won't have surgery next time. to Get out of it. Um, But having said that, my strength is my wife. I know I've skipped a lot along the way. She has been my backbone. I don't deserve not one minute of her time. But she has stuck through thick and thin. The only other thing I would like to close with you today is our military is the weakest it's been in history. We cannot fight a war really in one place. Our military is so diversified and scattered throughout the world we don't have the training that the soldiers deserve. They have the best equipment on the planet. I mean, best stuff going. But you can't train kids on video games. And that's what it's come down to. Surely that can polish your reflexes, but you don't ever know what a human being's gonna do. Having said that, I love America. I bleed red, white, and blue. I'll always be proud to be an American. My philosophy is if you don't like this country, leave. I've been all over the world and there's no place better. Christians are being targeted and you've got to figure out a way to fight back. The one thing politicians are afraid of are signatures. I wish video games, I wish cell phones, I wish computers would have never been invented because we've lost our way for you young people that think that you want it I say go and get it be careful what you wish for it might be delivered for all you young people that's been bullied in your life I probably shouldn't say this I never started a fight but I've finished a whole lot of them and if you run as far as you can go to get away from a bully and you just can't get any further. The moths tell you today, ears pow, eyes poke, nose jab, throat grab. And there's one other place on a man you can really deal with him with. Then run some more. But tough is not what it's all about. It's about love. Something that I have never, ever, ever. Really understood, and I'm trying to understand it every day. Brother Johnny Lay, he was trying to help me learn to understand to pray, and not to have high expectations. Recently, we sat under his little tree in his backyard, and I was kind of expressing to him what a bad person I was. He said, "Ah." He said, that's hogwash. He says, what you got to do is turn it loose. But it's hard to turn it loose, folks, before I leave this platform. It's hard to be a good Christian. Anybody sitting in this room that says they don't get angry is a liar. Anybody that says that they don't have bad thoughts are fooling themselves. I tell preacher Kenny quite often, I would be all right if I didn't have my invisible horns they start growing and I don't care how much you pray when you see something's wrong and you know it's wrong, you want to do something about it all I can say is God bless each and every one of you if you love your family, tell them you love them Johnny Lay told me Sunday, he said, Bruce we've been putting it off long enough, let's go to Cracker Barrel okay buddy we'll do it Cracker Barrel never came if you love your wife don't speak to another woman if you love your husband don't speak to another man not in a conversation other than hello or goodbye because if you start carrying on a conversation friend, something's going to happen I learned very, very recently, talking to old friends about what used to happen can get you in trouble. Even though you might not mean anything, they might think you do. So my favorite thing I say anymore, and I know my brother knows it, where I used to talk trash to women, I say, I'm saved. God saved me. <laughs> I love my wife. I said, oh. But God bless each and every one of you. I'm sorry for taking up your time. I'm no hero. The real heroes are right here in this room. Thank you.